This is Every Lady Needs a Hobby. A Miss Fisher's Murder Mystery Podcast. Uh, this week, we are discussing... Wait, se- you didn't say who you were. <laughs> I'm Mackenzie Clark. I'm Jenna Yandris. We're gonna get doxxed. Um, <laughs> this <sighs> week, we're discussing... <laughs> se- season 1, Episode 7. Murder in Mount Parmas. So, this week, we've got a couple of murders. One from the distant past... One from the... No, we have three murders. Three murders. Wait, there are three. Oh, you're right. There are three. <gasps> did you even watch the... Did you prep for this podcast? Of, of you course. You you were recording tonight. I spent hours prepping. <sighs> hours. <laughs> Real talk, it does actually take a lot of work to prep for this yeah. podcast. But we do it for you, listeners. Also, I'll just note that this was Mackenzie's idea. It was. <laughs> All right. So, murder of Mount uh, What do you think of this episode overall? There is things that I love, obviously, things that I absolutely love about this episode. But on the rewatch, I was like, oh, the rest of this episode is sort of filler. And I think maybe they were just really wanted you to remember one scene in particular. Yes. Yes. The uh, the epic fake out of season one, I would like call it. But um, I, yeah, I like this episode, but I agree. On rewatch, I thought the murders were absolutely ridiculous. The storyline is absurd. Just absurd. Absurd. But there's a lot of really important Jack Friney development. And also it's like a very vulnerable Friney. Like you don't usually see her so emotional and vulnerable because usually she's like sassy and fearless. And I do like um, that they, I like how they handle kind of like domestic partner violence. Like Friney is not someone that you would think of as someone who had suffered from partner abuse. But, you know, even strong, like strong minded women can bad things can happen to them so um it's true it's true i thought it was handled well um but overall yeah the episode itself the plot is like yeah very far-fetched yeah so the cold open of this episode we start with bert and a couple of other guys which i actually found pretty confusing at first because i was like that's not says who are these people well at first i thought it was Sess, and i wrote in my notes where's Sess?" and then i realized it wasn't him the whole time it was two other guys and really it was two other guys so that they could be killed off without having to kill off Sess. yeah yeah you're right <laughs> that was confusing i anyway yeah i did the same thing i had Sess in my notes and then i had to change it um but so like there's one guy who's banging on a door and yelling at someone they've clearly all been drinking there in a bar um somebody says oh you don't have to take a swing at him um and then they all leave the bar uh, and the two guys who are are not Bert, the other two, are fighting. They're, like, bickering. Um, Bert's trying to kind of stop them from fighting. And then suddenly a car starts up and just, like, runs one of them down. Yeah, and I'll note, too, just um, on the murder front, they seem to have... There seems to have been some money lost. Yes. And, some, some, um, and the one friend is blaming the other friend for, like, losing him money. And he pulls out his wallet and says, I'll give you the money. And then... Drops the wallet, and that's when the car comes in. This was all very confusing for me the first time, and the second time I watched it. Mm-hmm. I was like, what's going on? Anyway, uh, so then, in the next scene, Bert is being interviewed by Jack and Hugh, and he's, like, as usual, belligerent, uh, doesn't have much to say. <laughs> he says the car was big and flashy, and Jack zeroes in on the fact that um, the two other guys, who are Mr. Birmingham and Mr. Cliff... Oh, I didn't even really catch that if I'm yeah being honest. yeah well Bur- mr birmingham was tomo who was the man who was hit by the car okay um it took me a while to piece that together <laughs> did you just look at the credits or like the imdb page to figure that out no no in, the, in this scene jack names them as mr birmingham okay. and mr okay. cliff okay um and they were fighting and so jack thinks like well it's you know 
Mr. Cliff pushed Mr. Birmingham in front of the car, and Bert is just like, fuck you, that's not what happened. Yep, that's the scene. Classic Jack is like, yeah. oh, it's the obvious conclusion, which in real life he'd be right, but this is a TV <laughs> this show. This is a TV show, so it wasn't just a drunken fight. <laughs> it's obviously a conspiracy from a decade ago. <laughs> yeah, it's obviously, oh man, I mean, do we, no, we, we can wait to get into it, but. Yeah, I mean, I just don't know why he didn't see it immediately. It was obvious to me. <laughs> just kidding. No. <laughs> uh, Jack is just doing his job, you know? Just doing his job. Um, meanwhile, back at Miss Fisher's house, a strange French woman just shows up unexpectedly. Her name is Veronique. Veronique. Okay, Veronique. can I just say, all the people pretending to have French accents in this episode had terrible French accents. It's pretty bad, yeah. Just atrocious. Yeah. Anyways, I'll probably rant about that again as we meet more <laughs> as we meet more characters with this. Yeah. So Miss Fisher claims to be like pleased to see this woman who is just like, Oh, I just came to surprise you. But I mean, when was the last time you had someone travel from a foreign country and just show up on your doorstep without a phone call, a letter, a telegram? Um, that's never happened to me. And the only time that someone did show up unannounced, it was an ex boyfriend of mine and it was kind of a problem. He so. showed up at your house? Yeah, it was when I was in college, and anyways, luckily I wasn't home. That's but pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> it was horrible. Well, it didn't end well for Miss Fisher in this situation yeah. either, so it did turn out to be a, a weird stalking situation, so. Yeah, anyways, yeah, no, unexpected guests from nine, she said that she hadn't seen her in nine years. Yeah, and also, I mean, she definitely took a boat, so it wasn't like she flew to Australia, she was on a boat for, like, probably... At least a week, I would say. From France? Yeah, yeah I, think I don't know. take probably longer than a week. Yeah, I don't know. Steamship or something? I'm not sure how people did it, but anyway, it's a weird thing to do. But Friday, of course, being Friday, just takes it in stride and, you know, insists yeah. that they go out to lunch. But you can see the wheels are turning. The yeah. Mo- the wheels are turning. I'll also note, and I didn't really realize this the first time I watched it through, but then when all of my notes disappeared and I had to start over. Veronique in the scene, Franny offers to take her scarf and she refuses and then she wears the scarf the whole rest of the time that we see her. Oh, we I find never... out later it's because she has bruises on her neck. I never noticed that. Yeah. I did the same thing in high school to hide hickeys. Hickeys yeah, on my neck. Yeah, it's a little more fun. Yeah, yeah. Definitely a completely different situation. Yeah, there was a phase in my life where there's a lot of turtlenecks. <laughs> I went slept in a turtleneck so that my mom wouldn't even have a chance of walking in to my bedroom. <laughs> um, so Veronique is like, oh, P- my husband Pierre said he always wanted to come to Australia. Um, and that was, it was nine years ago, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all in Paris together. Pierre was a painter and he died. And Veronique had to sell all of his paintings, which was very sad for her. Yes. Also, this whole time Friday just looks very suspicious. But Yeah. So they go into the parlor where there's a painting by Veronique's husband. Mm-hmm. It is a, a nude. A nude painting of Veronique. Which is just an interesting thing to have in your parlor. This is a nude painting of my friend. Yeah, I just, I would not have that in my parlor, but. Yeah, no. Yeah, and then we see another painting in Franny's bedroom. Yeah, um, and this one is a nude that Franny posed for. Yeah, it clear like, she never explicitly, I mean, we figure out in the episode that it's her, but. Yeah. Anyways. She never explicitly says so. Okay, imagine you're one of Miss Fisher's liaisons. You're in the bedroom. And then you realize that there's a nude painting of her on the wall as well. Would you be a little weirded out by that? I don't know, this was the 20s, like, it's a pretty risque thing to do, so maybe they would just think it was, like, pretty hot. 
I don't know. Can you imagine having, a f- like, a portrait of yourself in the nude in your bedroom? When I was in high school, a friend of mine, her mother, had a nude painting of herself hanging in their house. So this is, like, a thing. She just had... A nude painting of herself, yes. Just in the house where, like, her daughter's friends would see it. In the living room. In the living room? In the living room. Um... So I guess this painting of Franny uh, was supposedly Pierre's best work, um, and he would never sell it, but it, I guess it, it disappeared. We will never know what happened that terrible night. Uh, and then we cut to a flashback of that terrible night. Yeah. But then I'm con- Okay, I'm confused by this, because Veronique says, oh, I thought it was lost. Um, a dealer arranged to buy it. And Franny's like, I, w- I hired the dealer to buy it. Yeah, but that doesn't make any sense no. from what we find out later, which is that it, it was, was stolen. Stolen and then recovered by... And turned into the police. Yeah, turned into the police. Presumably it's evidence. And, like, when you turn in evidence to the police, it's not like it just, like, it stays as evidence for a long time. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe they did eventually give it back to Veronique. Oh, and then... And then she sold it to a dealer. Right. But then if, okay, if her and Franny are such good friends that she's just gonna, like, show out of the blue nine years later... Wouldn't Franny have just said, hey, I want to buy that painting? Maybe she didn't have the money back then, you know? Because it sounds like, I mean, he died around the same time that they were all there together. Anyways. um, So the flashback is that terrible night, and it's, like, Pierre, presumably, looking just, like, super French in a a beret and one of those jackets with the, like, capes. (laughs) Um, He's waiting for a train, and then a man pushes him in front of the train and steals his case. (laughs) A very shadowy figure. Yes, a shadowy figure. Also, we established from a poster on the wall that the year is ni- 1919. Yes, the year after the end of the war. Um, and on this topic, I did a little bit of research about post-war Paris. Oh, did you? I did, yes. And I think the timelines here are a little bit um, a little bit squishy, because mm-hmm. we don't know how long Miss Fisher spent in Paris, but they do say that it's been nine years since they saw each other. And what is the year that the show takes place 28. in? 28. 1928. Okay, so then that would mean that she left in 1919, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So what I found in my research, aka reading Wikipedia, was that um, after the war ended in 1918, there was jubilation and profound relief in Paris, but then um, unemployment surged, prices soared, and rationing continued. So that sort of supports Miss Fisher saying she didn't have any money, you know. But then it says the French economy boomed from 1921 until the Great Depression. Um, This period was called the Crazy Years and saw Paris reestablished as a capital of art, music, literature, and cinema. The artistic ferment and low prices attracted writers and artists from around the world, including Pablo Picasso, Salvador Dali, Ernest Hemingway, James Joyce, and Josephine Baker. So... I feel like this episode sets up this sort of, like, artist scene Mm -hmm. that Miss Fisher was a part of. It sounds like that didn't really take off until 1921, which doesn't mean that it's, like, not plausible that she could have been, like, hanging out with these artists, but it's a little bit... They're kind of mushing the timeline. But you know what? I mean, that's okay with me. (laughs) I'm sure it's France. I'm sure there's still artists there. Yeah, I mean, there's probably people posing nude for paintings right now as we speak in Paris. I have no doubt that there is. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> All right, well. Yeah. So then Miss Fisher has the painting from the parlor, the painting of Veronique, taken down and wrapped up t- to give to her. Although, for, so Mr. B, come, Mr. Butler comes in and asks if a French luncheon is in order, because he did see a duck in the butcher's window. <laughs> I just love, because, it, like, if only I 
could be as good at my job as Mr. Butler is. This is, like, my greatest aspiration in life. Like, he's just so good. Yeah. I mean, he notices everything. He's there with the tray. He's there with the vase. He's there with the duck. So then back at the police station, uh, Bert and Mr. Cliff are being interviewed, and they're, once again, pretty annoyed about it. But Hugh says that a witness saw a blue Rolls Royce parked outside the bar right before the incident. Mm -hmm. Um, and Bert says that Hector Chambers, the bookie, has a blue Rolls Royce. Well, no, so he says Hector Chambers, and Hugh says the bookie, and oh. Jack looks just very bemused. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and we never really find out why Hugh knows who Hector Chambers is, so maybe, maybe Hugh's supplementing that constable's income. It could be. A little side betting. And then a little later on, or maybe it's in this scene, he asks about the, the horse that won, and you get the feeling that, like, He's a little interested. Oh, I think I missed that. Well, he does play sports. So I wonder what know. Dot's priest would say about that. Dot's priest seems like he has some flexible ideologies, frankly. <laughs> but so we find out that the reason they were so angry is because they bet all their money on a race that they had a tip off for, a fixed race. Well, but, they don't admit to that. That's what Jack asked. That's and what they say, oh, I don't know anything about that. Yes, but it's implied. And then. Hector Chambers, the bookie, will not pay off, pay out the money on a tip-off. Yep. Which seems pretty weird, because, like, why would he let them make the bet in the first place? Because then he got their money. Yeah, I think the whole thing is that he stole their money. Also, it just seems like if you're taking bets, you gotta be, yeah. the risk you run. Yeah. So, but that's why they were so angry in the first scene. Yeah. And the friend who got hit by the car, Birmingham? Yes. I Ms. do have that. Mr. Confidence. Birmingham, yeah. or Tomo. Like, hit Chambers, um, yes. He so took... they, there was a, a physical altercation between the bookie and... There was, yes. You might have already said that, but... No, I didn't. Okay. So Sess comes in and tells them that Birmingham is in the hospital and he's not doing well. And they all rush out. Oh, yes. Well, that doesn't... There's no improvement from there. <laughs> yeah, not... Not well for Birmingham. Yeah, not I'm... well indeed. Assuming he had, like, internal injuries, which I don't know if they could fix those in the 1920s. <laughs> Okay, so then Jack and Hugh go to interview Hector Chambers, who has a black eye from Tomo. I love when Jack walks in and he's like sitting there, eyes, presumably fixed, talking about a fixed horse race again. He's like on the phone and he has his feet up on the table. And Jack comes in and like grabs the toe of his boot and just like drops <laughs> his foot off the table, which is just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Good old honest cop. Jack. Um, so Hector, of course, denies all the bookie stuff, and, you know, he's got, like, his secret blackboard with all the bets. Um, I just, I, I actually really enjoy the scene where, where he's like, oh, I don't know anything about that. And Jack <laughs> just sort of, like, nods to Hugh, and Hugh just, like, goes over and, like, pulls the blackboard away from the, from the wall. <laughs> and Chambers is like, it's a public bar, I don't know anything about it. Well, that could have been anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and he also says that his car was stolen by... You know, someone he can't give a good description of, except for saying that he's foreign-looking. Foreign-looking. And then when Jack threatens to charge him with murder, he just pulls out a wad of cash and is like, oh, the police station probably needs a new punching bag. Oh, yeah, he tries to bribe them. And then Jack's like, add bribery to the charges. It's just such a great Jack and Hugh working as a team. Yeah, yeah. Hugh's probably like, oh, I could use that to take Dot to the pictures. And and Jack is like, must continue Spartan existence, like living in my bachelor flop house and lusting after Miss Fisher. That's what I picture, but. (laughs) Jack probably has a rich social life. 
All right, yeah. no, no, he doesn't, because he's always at work. Always at work, 24 hours a day. Okay, so then we cut back to the French luncheon in a cafe, where Miss Fisher takes Veronique to Café Anatole, which turns out is a complete reproduction of the cafe that they went to in Paris and hung out at all the time, which seems kind of weird. Um. <laughs> well, yeah, nope, it's weird. Yeah, and the owner, Anatole, uh, knew them all during that time. It was his cafe, and he mentions that the investigation into Pierre's death has been reopened, which is very surprising to Miss Fisher because Veronique did not mention it, and again claims she's only in Melbourne to visit Miss Fisher. Yeah, and of course, Friday, always the business lady, like offers her services. Yes, and Veronique is not completely disinterested. She says nothing can bring Pierre back. Um, and the whole thing seems extremely suspicious. Yeah, definitely. Also, the proprietor of this cafe has the worst French accent in the entire <laughs> he's, he's presumably the most French. He's, like, actually French. He's, like, a French cafe. He, like, probably, make, like, makes French onion soup and, like, croissants. He definitely makes French onion soup. They order some, and he just can't, like, it's so bad. Could they have maybe thought of something? Like, there's so much stereotypical French food in this. They're like, oh, I know. snails, French onion soup, duck. Like, I mean, could they have come up with something a little more creative? I don't know. No, but if you, like, I don't know. This isn't a, um, that's not the point of the show. Correct. <laughs> um, all right. And also the, yeah, the proprietor has a photo of Veronique and Pierre in Paris at the original Café Anatole and... All sorts of reminiscing comes back. And we find out that he used to give the room to artists to use yes. after closing. Yes. And he still does it, but it's not the same. It will never be the same. Kids these days don't understand what it was like, In you know. 1919 Paris. <laughs> so we cut back to a flashback of what it was like. Uh, Miss Fisher posing nude for the painting from earlier. Scandalous. It is a little bit scandalous. You don't actually see S.C. Davis naked, though. No. In fact, I don't think that you ever do. There's no boobs no. in this show. No. No boobs. Except in painting. Just a lot of very, like, toned male torsos and butts. I won't say no to that. <laughs> Which, I don't, I'm not, yeah, that's just an observation. Just, a, yeah, just a, a dry scientific observation <laughs> from our mystery solver over here. <laughs> I admit to liking the other aspects of the show beyond the murder solving. Yeah. So then, as Miss Fisher's lying there just, like, spread-eagled, a man named René Dubois comes in, and he greets all of them, and he seems extremely interested in Miss Fisher, who... Like, if you were lying there nude, would you be okay with a strange man walking in? Or would I don't you... think you understand that this was Paris. Oh. In 19... Excuse you know, me. 18. Excuse me. Maybe if you had been in Paris in 1918. <sighs> we'll never know. We'll never know. Also, based on Veronique's comment from earlier um where friday's like oh do you remember posing for that and she's like i remember too much wine for lunch so i think maybe like friday was just trash on wine probably as one is in paris i see almost always i mean i was recently in paris and i was trashed the whole time <laughs> the whole time no that's not true because you can't drink a lot and then walk around in museums if you get too tired yeah but you could have la languidly laid on the couch to be painted i did do that as well <laughs> Paint me like one of your French girls, I said. <laughs> no. <laughs> Good. Um, so then, back at the house, Hugh and Mr. B. Unclear why he was there. Maybe he was just coming to call on Dot. Yeah, 
Yeah, he's coming to ask her to the movies. Right, yeah. So while he's waiting for her, he and Mr. Butler are admiring the other painting. <laughs> Which is hilarious. Hugh starts to make like a hand gesture. Like he's cupping the butt. Yes! Cupping like... the butt of the painting. And right at that moment, Dot walks in. <laughs> yes. Um, so that's funny. Um, but he, like, recovers the moment, and he tries to suggest a date, taking Dot to the movies. Um, her favorite, The Sheik. Oh, so I know a little bit about The Sheik. It sounds like a ridiculous movie. Um, it's a 1921 silent romantic drama. It features a headstrong lady who refuses a marriage proposal because she believes it would end her independence. So this main character sounds a little bit like Miss Farney Fisher. So... The main character is planning a month-long trip into the desert, escorted only by natives. Dum-dum-dum. A woman? A woman. (gasps) How shocking. Indeed. Her brother is very opposed to it. Um, So then before her trip, she goes to a local casino, but it's been rented by an important sheik. So it's, it's like, been appropriated. So she can't go in. So she sneaks in by borrowing an Arab dancer's costume. Of course she does. Yes, um, as one does. As Miss Franny Fisher would do, I might add. Um, And finds inside men gambling for new wives. So then she kind of comes up for a bid somehow in the new wife spectrum. And (laughs) I don't know. Like a male or a bride? Yeah, I guess. Live action? And then she realizes that, like, what's going on? And the sheik realizes that he's one of the natives that's taking her on this desert excursion. It gets a little mushy. And then, anyway, so she goes off on the excursion, and then the sheik ends up kidnapping her. And um, I thought he was supposed to be guiding her. This is where it gets a little confusing, probably because it's a silent film. I haven't actually watched the film, to be clear. I'd like to. I think we should. I think we should. (laughs) Um, So he kidnaps her and then saves her from a sandstorm and has her in his clutches and then he doesn't rape her, which I think is the beginning of the 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 sheik is a good guy because he had the chance to rape her and then he didn't. What would the pop culture detective have to say about this? He would have a lot to say about this movie. Would um, you call it kidnapping as romance? Yes, in <laughs> fact, that is what I was thinking of in reading this plot summation. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, just a little plug for a little YouTube channel called Pop Culture Detective. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, yeah, abduction as romance. So this definitely falls into that trope. And then she tries to escape several times. And then she, well, she tries to escape and then escapes straight into the clutches of a caravan of bandits. And then the sheik comes to rescue her. And then he lets her out. And he sounds very controlling. He tells her she has to, like, dress like a lady because she's, like, wearing pants. And then the sheik rescues her from the bandits again, right before the leader bandit almost rapes her. That's shocking. And then the sheik is injured in the fight with a bandit. And then Diana decides she's in love with him. That Stockholm Syndrome is what she's experiencing. Um, But she also discovered that he wasn't actually an Arab. So this seems like a key plot point in her falling in love with him. Sounds like a key plot point in, like early 20s racism. (laughs) Yeah, so then it's just very 1920s. So she, like, confesses her love for him at the end. She confesses her Stockholm Syndrome. Okay. Yeah, he's kidnapped her not once, but twice, or maybe three times from the plot synopsis I I read. Well, Dot does sometimes get kidnapped. That's true. As recently as two episodes ago, she was kidnapped. Did Hugh rescue her? Seems like mostly Miss Fisher does the rescuing. Yeah, mostly. Hugh took the credit. Hugh took the credit. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, so that's The Sheik, apparently one of Dot's favorite movies. Terrific. I think we should watch it. Anyways, but Dot does not go 
to the movie. No, she puts Hugh off with various excuses. Like, she has a headache. Oldest one in the book, ladies. Um, she has too much to do. She's got to bake for the church fete. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe, but probably not. So, Mr. Butler during all of this is just just standing there, acting invisible, which I find hilarious. A butler's job, probably. But then afterwards, he asks her what's going on, and she tells him that Father Grogan made her go to confession, which Mr. B does not seem to like, the idea of being forced into confession. Is his name Father Grogan? That's what it sounds like. I knew an Australian guy named Grogan, and he said that it, it was, people made fun of him because it meant, like, Grogan meant, like, a crap. It was like a poop. Like a shit. Really? Yeah, a Grogan. Well, Father Grogan doesn't seem that great because in confession, well, he understands that while working for Miss Fisher, she's done a lot of things that maybe aren't quite in line with the church, like using the telephone and pretending to need an abortion and all of that. But he, he draws the line at kissing a Protestant and she's not to see Hugh again. He doesn't draw the line at kissing, though. Just kissing a Protestant. Yeah, the kissing doesn't seem to be the issue. Also, can you imagine your priest telling you that you're not to see someone again? Yes. Really? No. (laughs) I don't know. I don't have a priest. Me either. Never have. But also, imagine imagine Dot in confession. Like, what is she confessing? (laughs) Well, to to kissing a Protestant. I had impure thoughts about Hugh Collins. (gasps) But I can't think of a single other misdeed that Dot might have committed. Pretending to need an abortion using the telephone. Yeah, but... Working for Miss Fisher. I feel like her priest would have been like, you're so brave to stop an abortion from taking place. That is true. I guess the whole point of that was to catch an abortionist. Yeah. From the priest's perspective, because he killed babies. From Miss Fisher's perspective, because he used tools that were used for shoeing horses. Yeah, those tools. In listening to our first episode again, I just remembered how rusty... Those tools humongous, were. like a, 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 an ice pick that certainly could not go inside of someone's cervix. So, yeah, I think Butcher George um, got what was coming to him for sure. However you feel about abortion, Butcher George got what was coming to him. Yes. So anyway, that's the end of that scene. <laughs> so then, in the hospital, alas, Birmingham is die. Yes, he's about to expire. Um, but he claims that he's right as rain, which I th- I wrote that down because I thought it might be a clue. Maybe right as rain meant no. like he'd been murdered with an umbrella. Um, <laughs> no, he was murdered with a car. We saw it happen at the beginning. Yeah, it was not a clue. It was there was it was completely unrelated. Mm-hmm. But he does grip Bert's arm dramatically and then dies. I found this scene very touching, mostly and well, in this whole episode because. Bert is, like, very emotional during this episode, which I appreciate. I don't know. You don't always see men being emotional. Like, Jack is very stoic. Yeah. It's, like, remarkable when he shows emotion. But Bert is just very, like, authentically, he was just really, really upset that his friend died and, like, really angry that the police weren't doing enough about it. And I don't know. I do like to see male vulnerability and emotions. Although he does, I mean, he does do this sort of classic toxic masculinity thing of, like, translating his pain into, like, violence. Like, he wants to go, like, kill the guy himself. But, you know, I do do appreciate that they show his turmoil. Mm -hmm. Um, So then, after that, little death. um, (laughs) Little death! It's literally, like, a main plot point. All right, anyway. So then, um, Miss Fisher invites Veronique to stay at the house, but she has to get home 
which seems weird. Uh, and she refuses a ride even to her hotel, but claims she'll be back for dinner. So that's weird. Like, why does she have to go back to her hotel if she's supposedly coming back for dinner? It's very because, suspicious. And if you if you traveled in a in a boat to a different continent to visit someone, wouldn't you want to stay at their house? Yeah. Yeah. So it's all very suspicious. And then there's we have another flashback scene. Yes. And I'm confused by this flashback scene because Renee appears to be painting with soup instead of paint. Did you notice that? He dips his paintbrush into the tray of soup from the waiter passing by. Well, I think that was part of... Because then Pierre tells him that um, his art is parody. So uh, I think he's just, like, kind of making fun. Right. So that's probably where the soup comes okay, in. Okay, I get it, yeah. I mean, he's definitely, like, painting for an audience, so there's, like, people watching him paint this mural. I think it's just, like, an extra flourish thing. Right. But also, like, that definitely ruined that bowl of soup. Yeah. Do you think it was lead paint? Probably. (laughs) And then what he says, like, that Miss Fisher's body is wasted on Pierre's painting. Yes. And then Miss Fisher just comes on real strong. She's a master of subtlety. Yeah. (laughs) I believe the line is... What would you do to my body? A line I've never uttered. And, like, frankly, never will or never, want to. Never will, no. Cannot imagine a scenario in which I would say that. Yes. And then I have in my notes, um, then they fuck, etc. Yeah, I cool. had, so I had in my notes, then heavy petting, etc. ensued. <laughs> Although I think in fairness, we have both exaggerated and what actually happens is that they make out and like sort of there's some like rubbing. No, there's definitely a hand on the the ass. Right. Sorry. There's definitely a hand on the butt. Right. Right up the skirt. The large like Victorian era dress that she's wearing. I really don't like that dress. It looks like something out of Gone with the Wind. And she's wearing like a burlap hat. (laughs) Yeah, it's really bad. (laughs) But also, like, they don't, I feel like, don't make a huge effort to make her look 10 years younger. Like, literally, she just has longer hair. (laughs) And she's wearing, like, a long dress and a burlap hat. (laughs) No, I don't know. She she definitely looks a little bit younger. She looks a little bit younger. I guess if it really was only nine years that she wouldn't have looked that much younger, she still would have been, like, presumably, like, 30 or so. Yeah. I mean, nine years ago, I probably looked a little different. So then... Back of the house, Dot thinks, she says she thinks Miss Fisher was really brave to pose nude, and Miss Fisher says she wasn't brave at all, she just needed the money, and didn't have the sense to be scared. What do you think Dot's priest would say about posing nude for a painting? Um, (laughs) I don't think he would like it. But then again, you know, Dot's sister is a prostitute. Yeah, I don't think the priest likes that. Yeah, no, but I mean, you gotta forgive, right? Yeah, but I just... So anyways, Friday tells us that her... Well, tells Dot that her ambulance unit had been disbanded after the war. Her family didn't know where she was, so she really needed the money. Also, she's Friday, so presumably she also just wanted to, like, explore new things and have a good time. Yeah, she didn't need the money when she did a fan dance in, like, season two. So wait, this means that in the last nine years, Friday has come into a lot of money. Well, I think maybe she had it all along, but because what happened was her, some relative died when she was a little girl Mm -hmm. and her father came into a lot Mm -hmm. of money. So presumably she had it, you know, that whole time, but maybe just because she couldn't send a telegram or something. I don't know. It doesn't hold up to close scrutiny, does it? Or maybe 
No, because, like, I mean, in the show, maybe she's younger than she seems to be in the show. Yeah. Like, maybe in the show she's meant to be 30, so nine years ago, maybe she wasn't 21 yet, so she hadn't gotten her inheritance. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. But Miss Fisher in the show definitely seems older than 30. Yeah, I mean, she's, like, that. the actress is in her late 40s, so I would say she looks like she's at least 40. I mean, a, a terrific 40, like, S.E. Davis, if you're listening, oh, yeah. you look great, you're gorgeous, I, you don't seem to be doing the nude, scene, nude scenes, but I'm sure you could, because, like, you're... You but you need, don't need to. But you don't need to, exactly, yes. Um, <laughs> anyway, I don't know. So then, um, Bert and Sess show up, and they throw down what looks like about $12. <laughs> they sort of scrape the bottom of the barrel to get all their cash together to hire Miss Fisher to investigate the death of Tombo, because the cops are just not cutting it. Um, and then Friday refuses their payment, I assume because it's not even close to her regular fee. <laughs> um, and of course she'll do it for free, yeah, because, you know, rich lady with a heart of gold. Some pro bono work. Yeah. Although I often wonder, so this is a theme in, like, Agatha Christie books, where Hercule Perot is a professional detective, but often he refuses payment or just says, oh, this is enough. And you wonder, how is he making money if he's always doing things for free? Yeah. I would definitely not be making this podcast unless we were getting paid. You're getting paid? <laughs> If anyone wants to sponsor us, just, uh, our contact info is on the website. <laughs> Please be in touch. Every lady needs a hobby at gmail.com. <laughs> um, so, speaking of working for a living, Jack and Hugh predictably are at work. Predictably at work. Um, and they are playing with toy cars. Hugh has very carefully recreated the murder with toy cars. Yes, and he doesn't and want... Soldiers and... He doesn't want Miss Fisher touching the scene that he's recreated, which obviously she does anyway, and um, points out that uh, they maybe didn't collect enough evidence at the scene of the crime. And then they Well, were- yeah, because Hugh points out that the driver clipped a, like, fire hydrant and a curb, and so Friday's like, oh, well, did you- I'm sure the local police got plenty of evidence. And then he's like, and of course the local police didn't do anything because what what have we learned from these shows? The local police are terrible. Local clods. The local clods. They don't know what they're doing. So they run back to the scene of the crime where Bert finds a trail of spilled oil. (gasps) Much like my father might find. (laughs) And that would lead him to the mystery of Mackenzie's leaky oil pan. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, yeah. Bert and your dad would probably get along. Oh, for sure, yeah. They could work on the taxi together. So they, they don't get quite all the way. The they, men are a bit sort of stymied by, like, the trail of oil ends. Where's the car at? Um, and Miss Fisher uses her nose somehow to sniff out the car. Well, no, she, she sniffs and smells a cheap cigar. Which doesn't make sense because, like, yes... Uh, the bookie smokes cheap cigars, but the person they find with the car is not the bookie. I thought that, too. I was like, oh, so clever. She listened to what Jack said about the bookie smoking cheap cigars, and then she smelled a cheap cigar, but it wasn't the same person. No. No. But she gets lucky a second time because there's a wall between them and, you know, this cigar smoker, and they're about to climb up, and they're like, oh, she's not... You stay here, Miss Fisher. You're not getting anywhere in that skirt. And then she figures out how to just sort of reach through a window yeah, and unlock this. the gate. <laughs> like, Bert's like, oh, I'm going to kick down the door. And Jack's like, no, 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 you don't need to kick down the door. But, like, 
you know, Franny's not gonna get far in that skirt, and he, like, tries to climb over it, and then Franny just, like, reaches in and opens the doors. <laughs> yes. I also like, so during the scene when they're walking up before they smell the cheap cigar, so before they get to the door, they're walking down the alley, and um, Bert is really getting into finding the oil stains, like, making, you know, suppositions about what happened in the car, and Jack, kind of as an aside, says to Franny, oh, just what we need an amateur detective on the, the case. And she says, with us professionals. And Jack gives a little smile. <laughs> I love it. Yes. <clears throat> Beginning of a beautiful friendship. Although we're in episode seven now. Yeah. This friendship is off to a slow start. So they're behind the door that Franny has very conveniently just opened. Yes, and there's a man just right under that blue Rolls Royce, which is right there. Whistling and smoking and working on a car with a broken headlamp, which they found glass from the headlamp at the scene of the crime. Yes. Um, And the man is not Chambers, um, but he claims that the car just showed up. Yep, and even though he's not Chambers, Bert goes in for a punch anyways. Oh yeah, he's ready for action. Um, And he claims that the man who left the car was foreign looking and that this man quote scarpered (laughs) foreign looking like that literally is not a description yeah also like how foreign looking does a french person really look i mean yeah like maybe if he talked you could say oh he had an accent is he wearing a beret does he have a mustache he's wearing a striped black and white shirt no the only thing they can come up with is foreign looking foreign looking yes I assume that means he was slightly more stylish. Probably. Stylishly dressed. Probably. Uh, so, back at the house, Dot is baking up a storm for the church fete, and Mr. or Fate, whatever it's called. Fate? I don't know. Um, and Mr. B points out how much work Dot has done for the church fate, which makes her, quote, a woman of influence. Uh, and if she doesn't fulfill her commitments to the church, she'll be sorely missed. So maybe she should point that out. Um... Yeah, and she, Mr. B asks, Mr. Butler asks Dot, what would Miss Fisher do? And she says, make a big donation or pull out a gun. <laughs> pull out a gun. On a priest. Like, Miss Fisher just, like, whip out a gun at the priest if he told her not to step out with a Protestant. Yeah, I don't think that's what she would do, but it's sort of a cute Dot-ism. So, Mr. Butler's suggestion that she point out how important she is to the church Dot thinks might be blackmail. Just some light blackmail. But that's not how Miss Fisher would see it. Exactly. Just calling his bluff. Yep. Um, I also like that Mr. Butler says it's probably not a sin to step out with a nice boy like Hugh Collins. So then, Veronique does not show up for dinner after all. How rude. And Miss Fisher's worried, so she calls the hotel and they say she was never there at all. (gasps) 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 Where could she be? So then Bert and Sess show up uh, and they are still convinced that um, it was Chambers who ran over Tomo. um, And Miss Fisher doesn't really believe it. I wrote that that Franny has a, a family conference over hot cocoa. A family Because they're all, like, hanging out in the kitchen and, like, it's presumably late at night because it's after dinner and then, like, everyone's just there drinking cocoa. That's pretty cute, yeah. Um, but then wait. There's someone in the house. <gasps> uh, Miss Fisher grabs a walking stick, which seems woefully inadequate for greeting and... In- oh. yeah, but she probably also has her gun on her. Probably, yes. But why doesn't she get the gun out? 
Well, because sometimes you don't need to use a gun. Sometimes you just need a walking stick. Well, in this case, it's not adequate. Um, <laughs> yeah, she might have needed the gun. Okay, I, maybe she didn't have the gun. Yes. So a scuffle ensues. A masked man runs out the front door, and he's got the painting. <gasps> also, why? Okay, they... Oh, no, Bert and Seth left to go snooping. Yeah, they I'm were. Saying, all these guys are... Like, why didn't someone come with her? Um, yeah, well, Mr. B does run out into the street uh, in his bathrobe carrying a cricket bat to try and retrieve the painting, which he does not succeed in doing. He's a man of many talents, but he's not great at subduing an intruder. Except well, for the great no. hypno. Yeah. The great hypno. Yeah. Yes. He is. I think it was just he didn't catch the guy. Yes. Um, and then Friday's been badly bruised, like... Yeah, very he, progressed bruises immediately after the attack, which yes, yeah, doesn't seem realistic. Doesn't seem realistic, but he gave her a real smack. Yep. Um, so then she goes on down to the police station, and she learns that Veronique was actually traveling with her alleged husband. <gasps> Who could it be? Certainly not Pierre Sarcel. He is dead. Dead by train. Dead by, death <laughs> by train. That's what this episode should have been called. Yes. Death by train. Death by car. Death by fire. Which leads us to our next scene, where a suspicious man follows Mr. Cliff back to his room, where he seems to be just sleeping in his clothes. I would probably take the vest off, but well, that's just me. Well, I think he was, like, gonna go out later. Yeah, maybe. Because then Bert comes. Yeah, it was a nap. Um, so then... The well, we see the guy. The guy was waiting... Like, yes. in the alley. Yes. And he's like, it's the man in the hat. The yes. very distinctive hat. Yes. That was, in fact, the same hat that p- pushed Pierre in front of the train. Uh, yeah. You might say that it's a foreign-looking hat. Yeah, real foreign-looking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then this foreigner uh, pours gasoline around and lights the room on fire. And this is very sad. This is a very sad way to die. Bert tries to get his friend out of his flaming room but it's too late yep. and then we find out is Bert sits sort of despondent outside the scene that they were all friends during the war mm-hmm. they were in Paris afterwards waiting around to be sent home which I guess took a while Yep, and Bert has an old photo that he's looking at. I think that he took from his friend's room. Right. Full, like singe from right. the fire. Yeah. Um, and this is where it all takes a turn for the absolutely fucking ridiculous <laughs> Turns out, Bert and his two buds were all at Montparnasse Station, where Pierre was killed, and they witnessed the killer fleeing the scene of the crime. Who He dropped a painting. Turns out it was the, the painting of Franny, so they, they turn it in. No one's ever made this connection before. Bert doesn't say, hey, that painting in your bedroom, I've seen it before. Well, no, the painting was wrapped. Oh, no, but they turned it into the police, so presumably they'd opened it. I presumably they opened it, yeah. In fact, I think they might show them opening it. Anyway, the whole thing is so ridiculous. They would never have... Just no. Just I have no. in all caps, what are the chances? <laughs> like, all right, let, let's just take a step back and think that this painter who has painted Phryne and gets killed by Phryne's lover, abusive lover, the murder is witnessed by a man who later is driving a taxi and picks up a botched abortion victim who ends up in the hospital of a doctor who is Miss Fisher's best friend. And then that man ends up working for Miss Fisher, the woman whose painting he turned into the police when the painter was murdered 10 years ago. So I'm going to have to run some statistical analysis on those details, but my gut feeling is that it's 
pretty fucking unlikely. Just the chances are low. So then the the wheels are turning. It all comes together. Miss Fisher realizes that the killer must be Renee. And we see through a flashback that he was a jealous, possessive, abusive man. And, uh, you know, the whole, she's the only one who understands him, etc. His, <laughs> his chat noir. Ugh. Um... Oh, yeah, but so she has this flashback. She goes back to the Cafe Anatole mm-hmm. and is looking at the news of the investigation, confirms that the murder took place at Mount, Mount Parnasse Station, tying it to Bert and his friends. So she realizes Bert is in danger. He's the only witness left of the three. So she calls in the professionals, and Jack is a bit reluctant. So wait, so the in the... Sorry, just to, just to make the final link here... <laughs> Um, so in the paper, it says that the police are looking for the three Australian soldiers who turned in the painting. So that's, they've reopened the investigation. I think maybe because they found a photo of the soldiers. It doesn't make sense. How could they know? But then Renee knew because he's like, like systematically hunting them down. So I think they had a photo of the Australian soldiers. Yeah. Well, anyway, I think it's stupid. (laughs) Well, so then, then Miss Fisher calls Jack for help, um, and she somehow convinces him he's not pleased about it. Well, no, so Hugh is answers the phone, and Jack says, tell her she can wait. And then Hugh says, no, no, it's urgent, and Burr might be in danger. And then Heart of Gold Jack, is what I have written in my notes, leaps into action. Mm, she can wait. He thought maybe she was just calling with more yeah. operetta tickets, but little did he know. Although he probably would have gone to another operetta with her. Yes, I think so. In fact, I may have just read a fan fiction about it. Anyway, um, <laughs> so then uh, Miss Fisher and Jack show up, um, and Renee is there. He whips out a gun. There's a big shootout. Bert is like, that's him! That's the killer! Which is ridiculous, because he saw this man bump into him and rush past nine years ago. Nine years. That's a decade. Do you remember someone that bumped into you a decade ago? Let me think. Give me a minute. <laughs> Maybe if I'd seen someone push a guy in front of a train and steal a painting, I might remember who. Maybe. His face Maybe like. if he was wearing the same hat. Yeah. Okay. Renee should probably get a new hat for all the murders he is committing. Oh, definitely. Yes. That's like murder one hundred and one. You get a new hat. Yes. I also like in this this scene, Bert and Seth sort of. There's some children like playing on the sidewalk, and they protect them. Oh, I missed that. Sweet. Yeah, they That's kind of like cute. when the gunshots start, they like huddle around them. Well, I mean, this is TV, so all of the bad guys' gunshots are going to go wide and not hit anyone. Yeah, and all of the good guys' gunshots would hit the mark. Although in this case, they yeah, because this... Jack pulls out his gun, but he doesn't. Yeah. Renee gets away. So. Yeah, Renee gets away, um, and they have to sort of convince Bert that he needs to lay low. And Bert says, I'm not about to be scared off by some froggy with a pea shooter. A pea shooter. But he does agree that, you know, maybe the cab could use a wash. And then presumably he has sort of like a cheerleader fundraiser car wash style situation. <laughs> I hope so. Puts on a bikini, holds up a handmade sign for a car wash, and uh, he just goes to town. Goes to town with a big sponge, bucket mm-hmm. of soapy water. We can only hope. <laughs> Um, all right, and then Jack has been looking into the, to find out more about the investigation, but it's been held up by the military. Which, again, how did Renee find these men? The uh, police haven't found them yet. Absolutely unclear. The military isn't telling the police who they are. We have no idea. It's literally never explained how he figured out who they were. Yeah, well, there's nothing new about that. 
But presumably he like sends Veroniken to like get info as if he knows that Phryne knows these guys now, which is impossible. Impossible. Yeah. I mean, know that. he sends Veroniken to get the paintings. Oh, you're right. You're yeah. Right. Okay. So, he, so he's there to kill the witnesses and to get the paintings so that he can sell them for money, I guess, which really just sort of draws more attention to him. I would maybe choose a different artist to steal paintings well, from. I think he specifically wanted the painting of Phryne because he's still, like, obsessed with her. Right, yeah. Okay, yes. Um, so then back at the police station, um, they're questioning the bookie, Chambers. Uh, Wait, first there's this adorable scene of Jack trying to read the French newspaper and really struggling oh, with it. Oh, yeah, that's And cute. then Phryne, like, explains what is um, what it says and they kind of strategize about what to do next. That's pretty cute. Yeah. Um, so, so the bookie reveals that Renee actually did offer him money to kill all three of these guys. Um, Chambers says, no, he's being slippery again. He says, oh, I have to think about it. I'll get back to you. So Chambers has Renee's contact info. Mm -hmm. Well, also, okay, Okay. so Renee offered him 500 pounds to to kill the three friends. And I think Chambers was stalling because he thought he could get more money to do it. Like, I I think he would have done it for more money. Yeah. Like, he definitely gives that impression. What an asshole. Yeah. You can tell by his pinstripe suit. Oh. Never trust a man in a pinstripe suit. But so it turns out that um, the contact info is for the hotel that Veronique said she was staying at, but she's married to Renee now, so she was under a different name. Mm-hmm. Also, um, Chambers, Renee, once Chambers says he won't kill the guys, um, Renee asks him if he had a, a piece of art, if he could move it. So he must be trying to sell it. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Well, I mean, he does get the the other painting of Veronique, so maybe he was planning to sell that one. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So they rush to the hotel where Veronique is being held prisoner. She's literally tied up and gagged. Like, how long has she been like that? I'd like to know. Yeah, also, why this... Well, I guess because he already got the painting, so he she had served her purpose, and he was done with her. Ugh, this week's social justice issue, yeah. domestic abuse. Stark. Yeah. Um, so Miss Fisher patches her up. She feels, like, really guilty, obviously. And she asserts that Miss Fisher is probably in danger because she broke Renee's heart. And there's another flashback to Renee being an asshole, slapping her around. And telling her that she's his and only his. And then he hits her, which is just like, ugh. Yes. But now Miss Fisher, older and wiser, is ready for payback. Yes. Um, also, just when they go to the hotel... Um, and they find the room that they're staying in. Hugh has all the keys, like, presumably from the, the front desk and is, like, fumbling for the right one. And then Jack just kicks down the door. <laughs> oh, I missed that. You know, Hugh's just, like, has this huge bunch of keys. And he's, like, trying to... And then Jack's just like, we don't have time for this. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, Jack. What a guy. What a guy. Um, so they march back to the jail where Chambers, Hector Chambers, is still in the lockup. Um, and they offer to get him out if he can get lure Renee to the cafe um, with the, the dangling the art mm-hmm. thing. You know, it's, he has someone who will buy the painting. Yes. Um, so he's the sacrificial goat, as he calls himself. And so here's my question. So then they do have the setup at the cafe. They could have just sent any old police officer. Like, I don't think they would have sent everyone, like, Jack, Friny, Hugh, maybe Hugh. Veronique is also there? Yeah. Well, she, they don't think they, they were planning on her being there. Yeah, but, like, how did she find out? And also, so, like, all the stakeholders are present, but also, like, why would they stage this potentially violent situation at this cafe where 
they like know the owner like why would they i mean would, wouldn't they pick a different spot one that's not full of innocent civilians yes like literally this is a setup they could set it up somewhere else yeah but that would be less interesting to the show it so. doesn't make a lot of sense no um, also, Miss Fisher has a huge feather in her hat. Just a real big just, one. like, uh, ostentatiously large. Humongous, yes. Which, like, if you're going undercover, I don't know, maybe it's a strategy. The bigger the feather, the less people notice who you are. Yeah, I doubt that it works that way, but maybe that's, maybe that's her strategy. Um, so Jack is trying to, like, joke around about snails and French food, um, but Miss Fisher is, like, just totally wired and having none of it. Um, and he was very studiously drinking water, like very trying very hard to look normal. Yeah, he's he's acting casual. Um, and then Jack refers to Miss Fisher as Phryne, which is an mm-hmm. uncommon occurrence. He doesn't often do that, um, which is something I didn't notice initially until I read a lot of Miss Fisher Tumblr. <laughs> <laughs> so he's she like so Renee starts to come in and she's like trying to catch a glimpse of him. She's so nervous. She's like trying to look at him, and then. Well, that was a good way, right? So, before just the lead up, just to be very thorough on the lead up. Okay. So, someone like pops a bottle of champagne. Right. And Friday is like so on edge, she jumps and Jack like grabs her hand. Yes. And then they, they, um, Bert and Sass walk in and Friday is like, what are they doing here? Is like about to get up to like challenge them. And Jack's like, just don't look at them. And they switch places. And there's right. There's like some, some tender, like, Jack is very concerned and, like, can tell that Phryne is very agitated and he's just, like, looking out for her. It's very sweet. And then... And then she's trying to catch a glimpse at Renee and he grabs her face and they kiss. And it's amazing. It's amazing, but... but I don't want to give too much away, but I do refer to this as the epic fake out of season one. Um, Yeah. 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 But it's still, like, obviously it's in this whole context of Friday, like, facing her abuser from nine years ago and, like, Jack is at work, you know, like, but you can also tell that, like, Jack is really concerned about her and, like, when they kiss, like, I don't know, I think they both kind of realize that, like, oh. Yes. Oh. Yes. Oh. Yes. Even with all the other stuff that's going on in all the context. Yes. So. Although, I mean, I loved this when it happened, and I thought it was the, you know, signaling the beginning of a new era, but um, I do, I find that, like, if I were to list off my favorite Jack and Franny scenes, this would be in there, but it wouldn't be, like, number one. Like, I kind of prefer the ones where there's just a lot of tension. And well, I love the scene at the end of this episode. Yes, that's a, that, see, that's, that's a great better one. That's better That's a great one. Kiss, I'm yeah. I mean, the kiss is great, but. Yes. I know what you mean. So we'll get there. (laughs) I also love Hugh looks and sees that they're kissing and just looks like he's so confused. (laughs) He's often confused. He probably is just all the time. Do you think that when he and Dot go on dates, they talk about, like, what's going on with Jack and Franny? Do you think they're... Probably. Are they doing it? What's happening? I would hope so. Because, like, Jack and Franny definitely are all up in Hugh and Dot's business, so it's only fair. Oh, so up in it. Yeah. Like, more... Yeah, they're just, like... Very sneaky about well, it. Well, you know, there's, like... Aren't there Tumblr theories that, like, Jack and Franny were, like, sleeping together yes. the whole time? Like, all through season two, maybe? Or yeah. I'm not sure exactly when it starts, but... I mean, that wouldn't be very fun. I... I don't know. I'm not on that. I'm not on that boat. No, yeah, I don't think so. 
Also, it, I mean, it's important to keep stringing me along. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, for the sake of the show. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, listeners who haven't watched the whole show, ignore this. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> um, so then a big dust-up ensues, and somehow Renee gets Miss Fisher by the neck. And okay, wait, I have a blow-by-bow. Blow. Okay, so, there's a blow-by-blow. Blow. All right, so Hugh... And Jack make eye contact while Jack is still holding Phryne, which I love. Because, like, they're back in business, but there's also, like, this tenderness going yeah. on. And I think Hugh is. Anyways, that's, again, that's, um... So then Bert jumps up, punches Renee, who pulls a gun on him. Mm, mm. Then Renee grabs Phryne, puts the gun to her head, and then Jack pulls out his gun. And Phryne tries to wrestle the gun away from Renee but doesn't succeed, so then he has the gun, like, up her, like... Her neck area. Neck area. Under the chin. I'm making a gesture, but the listeners can't see that. <laughs> so then Jack puts his gun down once he kind of has this gun to Franny's head, and then Hugh charges at Renee, and Franny, like, uses that as an opportunity to steal the gun and points it at Renee and cocks the hammer. All right, wow. I generally tend to tune out during action scenes. As you can see, listeners, Genevieve <laughs> is paying close attention. I'm never tuned out. <laughs> uh, well, one thing I did write down is that she tells him she's not afraid of him. Mm -hmm. And then somehow he tries to make a run for it, and Veronique comes out of nowhere mm -hmm. and stabs him with a knife. And he dies basically immediately. Yeah, just, a, again, a quick death. When As we discussed in the first episode, perhaps not... To scale on the time. <laughs> I feel like he would have been bleeding out for a while all over those cafe and its whole floors. Yeah, because, like, it was a, like, I don't know. We'll have to get a, some sort of forensics episode. <clears throat> we'll have to get some sort of forensics expert on here to talk about how long it takes to die from a knife wound. But I don't think it's instantaneous. Yeah, I mean, if, if there are any forensics experts out there listening, give us a call. We'd love to have you on the show. Actually, email us. I don't think you can find our phone number. No, the so. lines are open. Call us now. 1-800-MISS-FISHER. <laughs> 6 no. <laughs> um, So, I guess I have in my notes, all the battered women are getting their comeuppance. Yeah, that is basically what the scene is. Which is nice. And, you know, you rarely, we really rarely see Miss Fisher so emotional. Like, her eyes are yeah. bloodshot. There's, like, tears yeah. in her eyes. She's, like, shaking. So we don't get a lot of that. Usually it's just sassy, like, confident, right. put-together Miss Fisher. I mean, in the Janie storyline... That's true, yes. We get some of that. At the end of the season. But you don't like that storyline, so I'm not even going to talk about it. Well, I like it okay, because, I mean, I like the costume party. <laughs> that doesn't count as liking a storyline. I mean... Anyways. That's the greatest. No spoilers. The greatest tension scene in the entire series, if you ask me. <laughs> That's a hot one. Getting hot just thinking about it, but... Practically pornographic. because <laughs> the window is shut in our recording studio. Yeah, in the booth. Um, <laughs> um, so then, so, um, I also, like, sorry, Jack asks Franny if she's alright, and he's, like, just very tender about it. Yes. So, the kiss was perhaps not all in the line of duty. Oh, I don't think it was. I don't think it was. But we're not going to get any analysis of it until the next episode. So stay tuned for that. I mean, any discussion of it between yeah. the two stakeholders. So just to wrap up the the B-team storyline, um, Dot comes home from the church fet, or fate, um, and she had a profitable chat with Father Grogan. 
profitable. <laughs> and she told him she was just thinking of converting to, to be a Protestant, presumably. Anyways, Father Grogan said maybe she should wait and see if Hugh converts instead. Mm, so, Hugh's More back. More on that later. Hugh's back on the table. So Dot is going to go with, to the pictures with Hugh. Yes. Hopefully to see the chic. And Franny has left a toy car for her to give to him for his nephew, because that's what he said when he had the toy cars, that they were his nephews. Yeah, I fucking bet. <laughs> yeah. So then, the best scene, really. Mm. I mean, arguably better than the kiss itself. Uh, Jack brings her back the painting wrapped in paper and string, and she opens it right in front of him. And he gives it a very lingering look. And she accuses him of blushing. He says he's a grown man, and he's not likely to blush at the sight of a little bare flesh, but he chokes a little bit. He can't quite, can't quite, <laughs> oh, it's so quite get the words out. He's a little bit... And then he's, he's, he says it's all, it's all part of the job. Yes. But she says that's what's so surprising, because he really isn't likely to blush at the sight of a little bare flesh. So what's got him blushing? Hmm. And she says that he's full of surprises lately. But he's gotta go. He's, he's gotta, gotta go. go. And he just he just says, I have to get back to the station. Like, really, really abruptly. And hurriedly. Dear listeners, I have come to believe that, that he found that, that picture rather arousing. He runs away. He, he flees, literally flees, he flees the, scene. the scene. Yeah. Anyways, he just he just couldn't he wasn't blushing, but like, gosh, he had he had to get out of there. He had to get out of there. I think he was worried about what might happen. Well, I mean you know, painting can uh, can do a lot to a person. And then Fry, I love Friday's expression at the end because she knows exactly what is going on. Oh, it's a very sly smile. Yes, we linger on her sly smile, and that's a wrap. <laughs> All right, but is it because like let's just revisit Jack just just running from the house. Please, the scene, and it's not the first time. He, it's it's not the last time he'll do it. It's not. He just sort of clears his throat and gets out of there. <clears throat> Anyways, Ugh. that's it. Don't fight all we get. Jack. Just, just, just lean in. Anyway, so as I said earlier, I think this episode is great for romance. The mystery is utterly unbelievable. Just the, yeah. But I do love the, the arc of the battered woman getting her revenge. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I like that. An earlier Franny flashback is always nice. Find out what she was up to. We also find out that a little bit about Jack. He was in Paris after the war as well. Presumably not painting nudes. Probably doing something respectable. Yeah, probably. I don't know what that might be. All right. Well, should we just... I know we usually don't do it in this order, but murder method. What do you rate it? So I give the train a seven. Um, Sort of a house of cards move. There's definitely house cards move. Yeah. Although you might argue that this came first, but, um... So House of Cards is copying Miss Fisher's murder mystery. You're <laughs> here first, folks. Except I don't think that there were any witnesses in House of Cards, but I've never even really watched that show, so... There were not. And then for the car, I'm giving it a two, because he didn't even die right away. He lingered for days before dying. Mm-hmm. I and mean, he still died. Yeah, but, I mean... <laughs> And then for the bedroom fire, I'm going to give that just, I mean, a 10 for being just gruesome and awful, you know, and, and creative, but then like a 2 for just making me feel really sad. Is it creative, though? It's a pretty blunt measure. Yeah, just literally lighting someone on fire. 
Ugh, I don't even want to think about it. Yeah. Ugh. I just overall just gave it a four, and I didn't write anything else. Just a four. Just overall a four. Just, like, less, not, not average, not more than average. Just a little less than average. Yeah. I mean, I think the reality is that I'm measuring everything against the spider from season three, and nothing lives up to it. Nothing. Yeah, that's definitely a ten. For sure. That was just the best... Anyways, it's ridiculous. Folks, stay tuned for season three. Oof, yeah. The murder methods do get better. Yeah. <laughs> I also like the. Anyway, <laughs> what was your worst outfit? Definitely the weird sheer blouse she's wearing at the end. In an otherwise perfect scene, she's wearing a terrible shirt. She also wears that in the cafe. She, I think I she just has like that. a jacket over uh, it. I hated it. <laughs> Like a terrible lingerie. Mental note: Genevieve doesn't like sheer blouses. I I mean, a sheer sheer lingerie would be fine. It's not I, lingerie; it's a blouse. Yeah. Did you put that as your favorite outfit? No, I okay, didn't. Okay. I didn't. My worst outfit was that burlap hat from the flashback scene. <laughs> yeah, that outfit was pretty bad. Yeah. I was. It was a toss up between that outfit and the the weird sheer blouse. Yeah. Uh, my best outfit was the blue suit with the patterned blouse that she's wearing during the shootout. Oh, I think I missed that. It's a little conservative for Miss Fisher, but it's, like, definitely something that I would wear to work, so. Yeah. I just sort of, like, if I saw it in the store, I'd probably buy it. (laughs) (laughs) And it has a little hat with a little tassel on it that I like. Oh, I do love that tassel hat. She wears that a lot, actually. Yeah. I think it's cute. So it's a little understated, but also with a with a sense of drama to it. And it also sort of makes her look like a Shriner. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see Miss Fisher driving a tiny car. I wish there was an episode where she goes undercover in the Shriners. Do we do we have any illustrators amongst our listeners? Oh. Please feel free to send us your fan art. <laughs> um, so my best outfit was uh, I couldn't decide between number one, her birthday suit. <laughs> Because she's getting painted in the nude. My second choice for favorite outfit was the gigantic necklace she's wearing in the cafe scene. It's like this big sort of, like, it's not diamonds, but it's, I don't know, it's some... I don't even remember that. It's like this choker, and it's so large, and, you know, I think, I like to think that it it played a role in protecting her neck when Renee was going after her. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just a great necklace, so I like that. I also, she had a, a big green ring that earlier... In the show, I'm trying to remember when she was wearing this. I think it's when she's wearing that white outfit. Yes. And she's had this huge green ring that I really like. I'll have to go back and look that, look yeah. that up. Um, best week? I forgot, so you go first. <laughs> um, I said Phryne. She confronts her abuser and tells him, tells him she's not afraid of him anymore. Plus, she gets some serious Jack action. True, yeah. She gets a kiss. hmm Yeah. And the last scene where... He obviously is physically um, affected by a nude photo or a nude painting of her. <laughs> Incapable of staying in the room with her. He's got to get out of there. Just had to go back to work. <laughs> a book series that I read uh, with a, a great will they or won't they character pairing has the Dresden Files. Um, not my favorite series, but I nevertheless read about 12 of them. Anyway, um, the main character, Harry Dresden, is constantly getting tempted in sort of sexual situations, and there's more than one occasion where he uses actual ice-cold water to cool himself off. He literally takes a glass of ice water and pours it down his pants. I'm not joking. What? This is real. Would that work? I would love to know. So if there are any men out there, like, 
please send us a note. That just seems like it would be very painful. Well, I think that's what Jack did out in the police cruiser. After I don't left, think after he left. The house. I don't think that's what Jack did. Imagine, out in walking, the police cruiser. imagine walking into the station as if he just wet his pants. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I have to agree with you that Franny had the best week. It's just yeah, yeah. And then worst week I had Bert because it's a really sad week for Bert. It was a really sad week for Bert. I was going to say Father Grogan, but that just seems really <laughs> trivial now compared with, like, Bert losing all his war buddies. Yeah, I mean, Father Grogan didn't lose anything at all. No, he sounds like an asshole. Yeah, also he's like... <laughs> all right, so our last rating, sexual tension. Wait, no, no, new skill. New skill. Oh, you know, I had, I literally in my notes have nothing because she doesn't really... I mean, okay, so artist model, is that a skill? I would I say... Said, I said I had modeling. Yeah, I guess so, but she's just sort of lying on a couch. I think there's an art to it. If you say so. I mean, I think there's yeah. a way of arranging your body. Like, that great painting didn't just happen by accident. It's true. She wasn't just, like, imagine you're just, like, laying in bed, like, looking at your phone. Do you look like, would someone want to paint you doing that? Uh, do I lie in a sensual manner, posed? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, maybe for you it comes naturally. I'm just saying when I'm lying in my bed, just, like, scrolling through Facebook on my phone, it's probably best that no one captures that moment. Okay, yeah. I mean, I guess you're right. I still think, like, it doesn't really compare to something like speaking Chinese. That was her last skill. Or, but like... I think a, she's a well-rounded woman. Magician's assistant? I don't she's know. <laughs> okay. Now, now sexual, sexual tension. I had... Nine plus. I had fifteen. Fifteen. <laughs> That's off the off the scale. Well, so I won't allow it. I sometimes allow you got to go off the scale. Sometimes you got. Wait, go I off. see in your notes that you have aura seven question mark. Okay, well, so because, like I said, when they actually kiss, it is it is actually not as exciting to me as when they almost kiss, which happens constantly throughout the series so it's in fact already ha i feel like it's already happened up to this point where they're they just every time they talk their faces are like and you know that moment when you're like you haven't kissed someone for the first time but you like know it's coming and it's i mean it's like a being on drugs so i've tried to explain to my husband why i find this series just i mean i'm just gonna say it it's so hot it's like almost pornographic to me and he cannot understand it but like but it's because, of, like, so much of the, their relationship happens in that moment right before you're going to kiss someone for the first time. Yes. It's just in that, like, it's it's coming, it's coming, when is it going to happen? It's it's excruciating, but I love it. Yep. I'm with you. Yeah, I guess that wraps us up for this mm -hmm. week. Tune in next week for Season 1, Episode 8, which I don't remember the name of. Season 1, Episode 8, Away with the Fairies. All right. How many episodes do we have left total in season one? All right. There are 13 episodes in season one, and next week we win eight. All right. Well. More to come. <laughs> as Barack Obama would say, there's still more work to do. 